1: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. What a great week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Begin reading with verse number 14 in the New Living Translation. The Holy Spirit is speaking to Christians through the Apostle Paul who happened to live in an area of the world called Thessalonica. And he's writing to several churches... And this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. How many have teenagers in your home? That's your verse right there. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Look at verse 18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every evil, every kind of evil. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. This, I love Thanksgiving week. And the reason I love it so much is because I just love turkey and dressing. How many of you love turkey and dressing? I, I enjoy turkey and dressing all year long, but it's just something about it around Thanksgiving. It just seems to taste better. Thanksgiving's just not Thanksgiving without turkey and dressing. A father in Dallas called his son. His son's name was Bill, and he lived in New York. And this father, father, father who lived in Dallas called Bill his son in New York just before Thanksgiving. And he told him, I'm sorry to tell you this, Bill, but your mother and I are divorcing. I just cannot take any more of her moaning. We can't stand the sight of each other after all these years. I'm telling you first, because you're the oldest, please let your sister know this news. Well, Bill called his sister Julie. It so upset her, she says, No way are they getting divorced. I will go over and see them for Thanksgiving. So Julie phones her parents and tells them both, You will not and must not get a divorce. Promise me you won't do anything till I get over there. I'm calling Bill and we'll both be there with you tomorrow. Until then, don't take any action. Please listen to me. Do not take, get a divorce and hangs up. The father puts down the phone and turned to his wife and says, Good news, honey. Bill and Julie are coming for Thanksgiving and they are paying their own way. You know, the numbers do not lie. The numbers do not lie. In the United States, more people travel during Thanksgiving week than any other time during the year. Thanksgiving in America is now celebrated as the number one holiday for being with friends and family. Think about it for just a second. When we pause in our busy lives for a few days to be thankful, The spirit of thankfulness always leads us back to our family and the friends we love. And may this Thanksgiving, may the Holy Spirit impress upon our hearts that the joy and love we experience during the Thanksgiving holiday doesn't have to be a -a once-a-year event. In fact, I am asking the Lord to use this Thanksgiving To launch Amanda and I into a life of thanks living. It's not just something we celebrate the last Thursday of November. It's something we live every day of our life. Not just thanksgiving, but thanks living. You know, over the years, the number one question as a pastor that I've received. And I still receive it just about every week. Somebody calls, somebody meets with me, somebody emails me. This week I met with two pastors from out of, out of the city who said, Pastor, can you give us some direction on what do you think God's will for my life is? What do you think God's plan for my life is? Every week now, I get those questions. I've always gotten them. People want to know what is God's will for our life. How can I find and know God's will for my life? See, there is a desire planted in each of us to know our purpose for being. Why am I here? Why am I living? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What is God's plan and purpose for my life? Now, here's what I know. I do know... That God has a specific plan. I do not know the specific plan God has for your life. But I know he has a specific plan. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But for every one of us, he has a unique and a specific plan for our life. Here's a very familiar verse of scripture. You've heard it a dozen times if you've been in church. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29 verse number 11. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. Notice what the Lord says through the prophet, Jeremiah. He says, for I, the Lord's talking. He says, for I know, the Lord knows, the plans. Everybody say plans. plans. The Lord knows the plans I have for you. God has plans for you. Notice he doesn't have just a plan. He has plans, plural. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Now notice what kind of plans they are. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. That word hope means an expectation of good and a future. So listen to what the Lord says. He says He has a plan for every one of our lives. And that plan is to bring blessing to us. And that plan is to give us an expectation of good for the future. Here's something else you need to tie to that. Look with me at Psalm chapter 84. Turn over to Psalm chapter 84, verse number 11. Notice what Psalm 84 says. He says, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. Now notice this last phrase. It's important you understand this and get this in your heart. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. You know, in talking to Christians all the time, I've spoken to many people over the years who think finding God's will for their life is like a puzzle. They live their entire life trying to figure it out. They view God's plan as a scavenger hunt with twists and turns around every corner. But please understand, God doesn't play games with us. He loves you too much to play games with. He is not playing hide and seek with his will for your life. God desires every one of us know his will, run our race, and finish our course, and receive our reward. The last thing our God wants is for you to stand before him and you not accomplish everything he set forth for your life. And for you and I to be able to accomplish accomplish it, we must know it. And he's not playing hide and seek with us. Let me um, let me let me share this. Turn turn with me to Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. Notice what he says. You know this. You've heard it at funerals. Paul says, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race." I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And notice this next next sentence. And the prize is not just for me, Paul, but for all. For everyone who eagerly looks forward to his appearing. So listen, he has a plan for you. He has a unique plan for you. That plan, His desire for that plan, is for you to finish that plan. You to accomplish everything God has for you to accomplish and to receive your reward one day. That's God's plan. But here's something I want you to understand. Concerning the will of God for our lives. God has a general will, a general plan for all of us. And He has a specific or unique will and plan for each of us individually. Let me repeat that. God has a general plan. Some would say a corporate plan for every one of us. And then He... That is the same for everybody. But then He has a very specific plan and a unique plan for each one of us individually. (laughs) For example, there are some things that God has... For us to do that he wants me to do and he wants Wayne to do and he wants Richard to do. And he wants, he wants David to do and he wants Bubba to do. And he wants Bobby to do. And there, it's the same thing. There are some things that he wants us to walk in love. He wants me to walk in love. He wants Wayne to walk in love. He wants Richard to walk in love. He wants Bobby to walk in love. He wants Bubba to walk. He really wants Bubba to walk in love. He wants <laughs> Bubba to walk in love. There is a general plan there 's a general plan that he wants Matt to do, and he wants Jenna to do the same thing as matt and he and he wants he wants uh, he wants uh, Stephen to do the same thing as the... there 's a general plan that he wants all of us to do but then there 's a specific plan that he only gives to you that nobody else can do it see there 's some things he wants Matt to do just like he wants those same things done by Stephen, but there's some things he wants Stephen to do that only Stephen can do and Matt can't do. And there's some things that he wants Matt to do, just like Jenna, but there's some things he wants Matt to do that Jenna can't do. So do you understand what I'm saying? He has a general plan for all of our lives, but then he has a specific, unique plan for each one of us individually. And here's what I've learned in my journey. When we are obedient to His general will, which is the Word of God, finding His specific will is much easier. When we are obedient to do what He tells us all to do, then it's a lot simpler and easier to be able to find out what He wants me to do individually. Let me give you an example. Turn to John chapter 14 verse 21. Scriptures will back this up. John chapter 14 verse 21. Jesus says this, Those who accept my commandments and obey them, those who hear my word and obeys it, are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them, and notice this next phrase, and reveal myself to each of them. The Holy Spirit says here, Jesus says here, he says, if you will do what my word says to do, then the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the specific things that only he wants you to do. But it begins by doing what he wants everybody to do. Listen, when we obey his word, which is the plan for every Christian, when the Bible says forgive, we forgive. Everybody forgives. When the Bible says love, we've, when the Bible says uh, a walk with patience toward those who are without, everybody, that's for everybody. When we obey His Word, which is the plan for every Christian, then it will be easier for us to see His specific and individual plan for our lives. Now here's the catch. Some of us can't figure out God's specific plan for our life because we're not being obedient to the things He has plainly revealed to us in His Word. See, if you and I can't forgive people who's wronged us, then there's no way He's going to tell you what job you need to take. Because He don't want you going to that next job with unforgiveness in your heart. See, understand, we've got to, we've got to start in the first grade to get to the second grade. Some of us are not smart like others where you skip two or three grades. I was so smart. I was so loved by teachers. All my teachers wanted to keep me for two years in every one of my grades. I said to my mama, what's wrong? They said, well, they just love you so much. So I just just thought my teachers loved me so much. See, some of your teachers didn't love you. You just skipped a whole grade. They didn't want to mess with you, so this moved you on up. But see, when it comes to finding God's plan for your life... We've got to do what's written. We've got to first do what's written, and then he will reveal to you what's not written. Which is the specific plan. The Bible tells us to pray and seek his face and pray, uh, pray continually. Well, if we don't, we don't live a life of prayer, then, and that's what he plainly tells us to do, how in the world do you expect him to reveal to you your, his specific plan for your life? See, we've got to all do the corporate, the general plan, and then it's easier to find out the specific plan for our life. So let me, let me show you one of the general plans that's true for every one of us. And we all are supposed to do it. And if we don't get this down, chances are it's going to hinder us from knowing exactly, individually, what He wants us to be spending our 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth doing. If we don't get this one down, we might not ever figure out the individual plan He has for us. Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the what? Will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How more simple and plain can it be? What do you think God wants me to do? I don't know what He wants you to do, but I can tell you what He does want you to do. I don't know exactly what He wants you to do specifically, but I can tell you what He wants you to do generally. He wants you to be thankful for where you are. He wants you to be thankful for where you are. See, a lot of us are never going to get to the next step in our journey because we haven't learned how to be thankful for the place we're standing right now. We're complaining about it. We're fussing about it. We're critical of it and all the people around us. And we've been done wrong and we've been overlooked and we're the victims. And until we can be thankful in every circumstance, we will never be able to take the next step and know the specific plan God has for us in our walk. In everything, give thanks. Finding God's specific will begins by being obedient to His general will for our lives. God plainly tells us that His general will for all of our lives is to be thankful. Well, Pastor, you don't realize what I've gone through lately. I have nothing to give thanks for. I've been betrayed. I've been done wrong. I've been overlooked. I've been misused. I've been lied about. I've been cheated. Uh, uh, I don't feel good. I've been attacked with sickness and disease. Uh, My job has laid me off. My company is cut back. Da-da-da-da-da, on and on and on. And I'm going to tell you if, you, if you think you have nothing to give thanks for, if you stay right there in your thought life and your confession, you're headed for a long down here journey of bitterness and brokenness. Yeah. Let me show you the key to get out of your pit of despair. Turn with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Look at Psalm 107, verse 22. Notice what the psalmist said. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Notice what it says. Let them let sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Here's what, I've un, here's what I've learned in my journey. is that If I'm going to live a life of thanksgiving... If I'm, not, if I'm going to make Thanksgiving more than just a one Thursday of the year, if I'm going to live thankful every day, I've got to understand that I must live a life that I sacrifice to be thankful. In other words, a sacrifice costs you something. And if the only time you're thankful is when the circumstances of life line up with your stars... And Jupiter comes in line. If that's the only time you're thankful, you're in for a long journey of disappointment and bitterness. The Bible says, oh, that men would offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What is that? The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Well, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how bad it is for us this year. You don't know what broke down and how we lost our job and how this sickness took our money. You don't know how our families talked about us and how they won't speak to us. You don't know how the company overlooked me and you don't know the hours that we're having, how they they worked me to death and didn't pay me. You don't understand. You don't understand. I have really nothing. I just don't feel like giving thanks. And you're heading for the pit of despair. It's in those moments that we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. What is that? The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Sometimes living a life of thanks, living requires bringing the sacrifice of praise. My friend Terry Law, uh, who will be here this coming 2018 tells the story how he was awakened by his assistant in the middle of the night to take an urgent phone call. Terry was preaching a crusade in England, and his wife and four children were at their home in Oklahoma. Terry took the call and was rocked to hear that his wife had been killed in a car accident. Terry immediately flew back to the States and for the next several months tried to pick up the pieces of his family which had been devastated by this terrible tragedy. Here he is left with four children and on top of that the thought that he was outdoing God's will preaching the gospel when this all happened to him and his children. Despair and depression began to destroy his life. Let me let me read to you what he wrote about it. It's in the power of praise and worship published by Victory House Publishers. It says this. I keep hearing a beating. What is that? Do y'all hear that? Is it just me? Do you hear it? I don't know what that beating is. Is that somebody on what's that beating, Wade? Check make sure it's nobody on the some kids got loose in the nursery and they're running on the roof. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. He, says, he said this. He said, my heart was aching. I was filled with grief. Bitterness and self-pity were beginning to fill my life. The devil said, God has been very cruel to you. How would a loving God allow something like this? I was bombarded with a series of thoughts and strongholds that were about to sink my spiritual ship. I came to the point of one of the greatest decisions of my life. I got on my knees to pray and my words sounded hollow. The devil sat on my shoulder and whispered in my ear and said, Terry Law, you're a hypocrite. How can you praise God when you hurt so bad inside? I had to make a fundamental decision. The words of Psalm 34-1 came to me at that moment. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I made my choice. I said, devil, I will bless the Lord, and I command you to shut up. I command you to leave my thoughts alone, and I'm going to praise the Lord. He went on to say, nothing happened immediately. In fact, it was two hours before I felt anything whatsoever. There were two hours of barren praise. No emotion, no feeling, no tears, no sense of God's presence. But I said, I will offer a sacrifice. And then the moment came. There was an explosion in my spirit. The presence of God came into the room. And my life has been changed ever since. What he doesn't tell is this is that when he was at the pit of his despair and was thinking the worst, God has left me here when I was out preaching the gospel. God has left me here without a wife and these four children. Why would God do this to me? He said when he was at, at the pit of despair, he went to his spiritual father, his spiritual mentor, who happened to be Oral Roberts. And he went to Oral and he he sat in Oral Roberts' office and Oral preached his wife's funeral. And Oral said to him, Terry, I'm going to tell you what's going to save your life. I want you to leave my office and I want you to go home and I want you to kneel down beside your bed and you begin to praise God. And you praise God till you get breakthrough. You know what happens to most of us? When somebody does us wrong or we feel like life has not treated us fairly or we go through a bad season or we receive bad news or life's turns turn against us and things don't go the way we wanted them to, you know what we normally do? We go to those people who will pat us on the back. Yeah, you've been done wrong. Yeah, yeah, boy, you've been done Yeah. I wouldn't go back over to that church. No, yeah, they've done you. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that company's done you wrong. You ought to feel that way. Yeah, I'd feel that way too. I'd feel that way too if they'd done me like that. I'd feel that way too. Yeah, I'd act that way too. No, I wouldn't go back. No, 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 forget them. Just, Just show up and do your job and leave. Don't worry about it. We go to those people who pat us and make us feel good about our misery. Can I tell you something? If Oral Roberts would have looked at Terry and said, Terry... I understand, man, you're in a... Man, God hadn't done you right. This is bad. Yeah, you're in a bad shape. Yeah, just... Yeah, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I don't blame you. I understand exactly what you're going through. Yeah, this is bad. Yeah, you hadn't been done wrong. Do you know his whole children would have lost? He would have lost. And he wouldn't have touched the nations that he's touched since then with the power of praise and worship. And today, every one of his children are in ministry and successful businessmen and businesswomen. And they all serve in their local churches and serve Terry Law's ministry. And you talk to them and not one of them have a hint of bitterness. Not a, have, one of them have a hint of regret. Why? Because they've understood the power and the sacrifice of praise. It'll bring you out of your pit. It'll bring you out of your pit. But you have to offer a sacrifice because you don't feel like it. You don't want to, and you have no circumstances and ammunition around you to make you want to praise Him. Things are not going the way they were supposed to go. Why in the world should you thank Him? And that's when we offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Let me give you another one. Jonah. Anybody ever heard of Jonah? Jonah. People ask me all the time, do you think Jonah really got swallowed by a whale? I don't know if he got swallowed. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know how it could happen. But I, th- I think the results of his testimony proved that something supernaturally happened. I mean, you think about it. Jonah was a preacher of righteousness, and God told him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. They're heathens. They're heathens. Alright. He don't, they don't like God. They don't want God. And God says, you go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. And Jonah says, I don't like them. They're heathens. They're going to hell. And I'm glad they're going. I'm glad they're going. I'm not going to Nineveh. And God said, well, I want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah says, no. He catches the next boat and he goes the opposite direction. A storm comes up. And the men on the boat have spiritual perception, and they understand this is unusual. We've angered God, and they look found out that Jonah had disobeyed God. So guess what they do? It's every man for himself. They threw Jonah over the boat. We're not going to sail back and let you off. You're going over right now. And while he's floating around up there, the Bible says a great fish swallows him. Now, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I have a hard time getting a brim to catch my hook, much less, much less being swallowed by a great fish. But here's what I do know. The Bible says that he went into the city of Nineveh after the fish opened up his mouth, and he walked out of the fish's mouth and said one word, repent, and the whole city repented. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, let me, th- if, let me tell you something. If you were to go down here to Stone's River, right down here at the dam, and you was down there one day, and all of a sudden just enjoying the scenery, walking on the greenway, maybe putting your line in, just taking your grandchildren, and all of a sudden a big catfish that you've never... biggest catfish you've ever seen, crawled up there on the bank and opened his mouth, and Pastor Gary walked out and said, Repent. Do you think you wouldn't repent? And the Bible says the whole city repenting. So something happened. Something... Something They didn't even want God before that. Something supernaturally happened that caused them to repent. Well, let's read it. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows, your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the mooring of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my soul fainted, verse 7, within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your your holy temple. Verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation of the Lord. And notice then what happened. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it bumped Jonah onto dry ground. When Jonah in the midst of his despair all of a sudden offered a sacrifice of thanks to God. It caused his hell to release him. Did you know that medical science and psychology have proven that a spirit of thanks, thankfulness and gratitude brings wonderful physical and psychological benefits? You can Google this and find this out. This is not hard to find out. The Eli Lilly Foundation has discovered in their studies of thankfulness Number one, that thankfulness relieves stress. Being thankful will relieve your stress level. And if you can get your stress level relieved, it lowers the risk of heart disease. Number two, thankfulness boosts the immune system. It boosts the immune system. And the stronger immune system helps fight off colds and flus. Some of you are so ill and critical all the time, you need to take two flu shots. But thankfulness is a divine medicine. The Eli Lilly Foundation discovered that thankfulness will boost your immune system. Number three, thankfulness also is tied to help lower your person's blood pressure. I tell you, you, instead of going to family this year all worked up and mad and about what they said and what they did and what they didn't do and how they didn't treat you and how they didn't do what they said they were going to do and and remembered all the stuff and the drama in their life. Instead of doing that and getting all worked up and your blood pressure going through your head and all that stuff, won't you go in there singing, give thanks to the Lord for He is good and see how it will not affect you physically. Thankfulness and gratitude promote psychological health. Number four, gratitude improves psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions, from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Robert Edmonds, a leading gratitude researcher, has concluded multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being, his research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. Here's one. Grateful people sleep better. Amen. Writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep according to a 2011 study published in Amplified Psychology, Health and Well-Being. Spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful but sentiments before bed and you may sleep better and longer. When I read that, I just told Amanda, I said, I'm going to write two paragraphs tonight before I go to bed, and I'm not waking up to Wednesday. (laughs) Number six, thankful people have proven to be better friends. Thankful people are better friends. You know, people that are ill and critical and have a negative... View of life, people don't want to hang around those kind of people. Number seven, people who practice gratitude are more resilient. They can hang in there longer. They can take the difficulties of life longer. They sustain through life. Have you ever seen those people who you've seen what they've gone through and they always have a smile and they always have a good word and they they just don't seem like they ever get down? Why? You check their attitude. They're thankful people. And finally, number eight. Thankfulness opens the door for God's presence. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter to His gates with thanksgiving and go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Have you ever got down to pray and do your daily devotions? And it seemed like things you couldn't remember all week long suddenly came to your remembrance. It seemed like you couldn't get your train of thought straight and you couldn't get your mind calmed down. And you just couldn't concentrate. Have you ever, anybody ever had those problems when they started to do their devotions? I tell you, if I ever have forgotten something and can't remember it, I've learned, well, I'll say with my mouth, I'm going to go pray for about an hour. And man, the devil will remind me exactly what I forgot because he don't want me praying. Here's what I've learned. It's whether if I'm driving to work or whether you're doing your devotions on your way to school or whether you're going driving to Nashville to the office or if you're sitting over a cup of coffee around your kitchen dinette in the mornings or whether it's at night before you go to bed and you're just taking a moment of devotion or whether it's in your prayer chair that you have in your den or whenever you do your devotions or wherever it may be. If you will just take the first few minutes and just set yourself in your mind to start thanking the Lord for His goodness in your life. Just thank Him that He saved you. Thank you that you have the breath that you can pray today. Thank you that you have a roof over your head. If you have children at home that are healthy, thank Him for that. If you have a spouse that loves you, thank Him for that. If you have a spouse that didn't love you, but they're gone, thank Him for that. Just find things to thank Him for. And I guarantee you, if you will spend just a few moments not petitioning Him, not telling Him how bad things are, but just take a few moments to thank Him, the heavens will open. You will enter